0: Good morning. It is so good to have each and every one of you. Uh, some of you, um, very, very good to have. I haven't seen you guys in a while. Others, it's just amazing. If you're at home and you're, it's warm. That's awesome. Uh, walking across the parking lot this morning before the first service, I got a brain freeze, and I didn't even drink anything. It was like walking right across. It was, it was. It was brutal, but those, who, those of you who are here, so good to see all you guys, um, so glad that you're here, and today we're going to be just continuing our series on living hope, and this is from the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, as we saw in the intro, the Dr. Luke, Dr. Luke's biography on Jesus, and we're going to be in chapter 8, so if you've got your Bibles, you've got a phone that has a Bible app, definitely go there, and as you're turning to Luke chapter 8, um, one of the things that it was so cool to do is this past week for me is get back from this amazing trip. Uh, some of you, as you were coming in, you were asking questions about, the trip Uh, my son uh rylan uh, he's turning 13 and in our family when one of our boys turns 13 we go to a national park um one of the things that julie and i wanted to do uh is to give our kids just these experiences that they they won't forget so julie's way more spiritual than me and so she wanted to make sure the kids went on a missions trip And I took them into national parks. We kind of have like a picture of God working through the world and and through the local church. And also a picture of God's beauty within the world. Because as awesome as the Chinooka area is, um, we don't have that. And so one of the things we wanted to do was make sure that all of our kids got a chance to experience God's mighty hand of creation. And so... And the one thing, uh, like four or five years ago, what Ryland said he wanted to do when he turned 13, because they get to pick out their own trip, is he wanted to go to the Grand Canyon. And I was super pumped about this with one caveat. As cool and, I mean, it's a rigorous trip down. It's even more rigorous trip out of the canyon. You're going thousands and thousands of feet down and thousands of feet back up. But the key thing is that in the wintertime, the one thing you have to contend with is that if it snows, it's not great, because the first 1,500 to 3,000 feet are covered with snow and ice, and the, the paths are narrow. And so at the very, very, very top, the one thing that, that the, all the rangers told me on the phone before you go, do not attempt this, don't even try this, unless you have these, microspikes. Microspikes was like, and I didn't have microspikes, so I had to buy them for like 10 bucks um, for me, and 10 bucks for Rye, I'm like, this is a one-time use, I don't care if they're super quality. But this made, this made all the difference. Has anyone ever worn these? Okay, okay, I I didn't even know they were a thing. But I'm telling you, you're going down like the South Kaibab Trail into the canyon, it's like this, and you're just like, what? And it doesn't even matter because you got like this amazing grip and you're going down that thing. And you're like, you're going right next to an edge. I don't even care about your edge. I got the micro spikes and you're just like cooking all the way through. It's phenomenal. And that's the way it was up until the return. The return trip back up, we start going up and as soon as we got to mud and it was like super slippery, we're like, okay, this is when we're going get to start getting to ice and snow. So let's put on our micro spikes. And within a couple of minutes of having them on, this happened my left foot micro spikes, the chain just broke. Like 10 bucks used to mean something back in the day. Not anymore. It didn't mean quality for this one because the left side just totally broke free, which means that my left foot didn't have any of the traction that it had going down. And the lame thing is that I'm putting these on right as we're getting to, Snow, ice and snow. And so that meant that the rest of the 1,500 to 3,000 feet above us and the hardest part of the trail getting out of the canyon was going to be done with one foot that had great traction and one foot that had zero traction. And so as I'm going up, all of a sudden, I'm starting to have this feeling inside me as the road gets slipperier and the path gets more and more narrow of fear. And the reason that I had fear is because I remembered how steep the thing was getting down. And I recalled how narrow it was that coming out of that was something that left me with a lot of trepidation. And I started to realize that my fears were accurate. Because every step forward, I had one foot that was like, and it was solid. I'm like, oh yeah. And then the left foot, and it was just like, spinning. It's like if you had one part of your car tires just spinning. And so like my left side had zero traction, and it had, and I'm, I'm just slipping. And that sometimes is the side where you've got the canyon on one side. And so all of a sudden as I'm going up, I'm realizing I've got less momentum. I'm not, I'm not making any progression up as quickly as I was. Ryland's passing me up. It's one of those things where I started to get more and more discouraged and more and more fearful about actually getting out of the canyon. And thankfully, we did. We got out of the canyon. But it was one of those things where I was just like, that whole way up, I'm like, this could end poorly. Fear is a real thing. The passage that we're looking at is addressing fear, but it's also introducing another concept, which is faith. And and the important thing to realize is that what Dr. Luke is trying to help us understand in this value pack, multiple-miracle passage is not just that we can live with faith over fear in a society that lives with fear over faith, but that faith is important, but not just any kind of faith. Dr. Luke is talking to Theophilus, who is in a world full of faiths. Like, there's lots of faiths. I mean, he could, like, it's like old country buffet of religions where Theophilus is. He could pick any faith he wants. Dr. Luke does not care if he's religious. He doesn't care if Theophilus is is someone who's a religious person following a religion. He He doesn't give a rip about whether or not he's someone who's just really, really trying to be a good person. He's recognizing and he's advocating for faith specifically in Jesus that, that, that if, it's not for, if it's not faith in Jesus, it is not going to make a difference. And so in this passage that we're about to read, we're recognizing that Dr. Luke helps us understand actually three answers to questions that we have about faith. The first one is, what am I to do? Like with regard to faith, is this all God or what am I supposed to do with it? What am I to do? And then who am I to do it? And then how can I make it through it? And so we're going to tackle these one at a time. The first question is, what am I to do? And we see that as we get introduced to what's happening in this passage. So in chapter 8, verses 40 and following, Dr. Luke records this. Now when Jesus returned, just pause real quick, he's like ping-ponging across the Sea of Galilee, and everywhere he goes there's a crowd. Um, How many of you ever have worked with kids? Okay, what's a really great incentive to help kids do what you want them to do? Boom, man! Prizes and candy, man. You guys know. All right, candy. Have you ever just walked into? I mean, and it's kind of like with with like caged lions or something. You don't want to just like walk in with a bag of candy, hey kids, because what's going to happen? You're going to get mauled. So you like you show them one at a time. Here you go. Here you go. But if you walked into a massive room with a massive group of kids with a bag full of candy, you're going to get mauled, and that's what's happening to Jesus kids in the Galilean area know that Jesus is the one to go to. He's a miracle worker. He's doing crazy awesome stuff, so he gets mobbed everywhere he goes. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus's feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Okay, now Jairus, this is a guy who, who's, he's a synagogue leader. That means that he operates the synagogue. He makes sure the services are going. He's probably a Pharisee. And even though his homeboys that are Pharisees are not cool with Jesus, he's like, like, I don't even care because I need, my daughter is dying. And I, don't, I have a lot of, I've got a lot of convictions against this guy, but I, got, I can't argue with the evidence. There's something about him that has a healing component. And so I am going to fall down at his feet. Even though he's, in my mind, he's probably just a rabbi, but he's a healing miracle worker. I'm going to put my trust in him. I'm going to just drop any of my predispositions and fall at his feet and beg him to help my daughter because my 12-year-old daughter's dying. And so he does that. Verse 42. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years but no one could heal her. So again, we've got a woman who's had a medical issue for how long? Okay, we have a girl who's dying, and how old is she? Okay, so for as long as that girl who's dying has been alive, this woman has had this medical issue. Okay, both of them are dire. Both of them are, are, are super difficult. One, the dying daughter is clearly more of a devastating, you know, this is triage moment, whereas the other one, not so much. But as they're walking through the crowd, all of a sudden, Verse 44, she came up behind him, this woman with this hemorrhaging bleeding issue for 12 years, she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Okay, one of the things that we see as far as the answer to the question, what am I to do with faith? Faith is simply doing what Jairus and this lady did. We don't have a name for this lady, so let's just give her a name. Let's call her Erica, okay? Jairus and Erica, they respond to Jesus in faith, and this is what a person who responds to Jesus in faith does. They trust God's whole authority. They're trusting his authority. They're going to Jesus. They know that Jesus has the ability to affect change. They don't know if he's going to do it or not. They're just simply trusting that if anyone can do something, he can do it. And so I'm putting my trust in Jesus. One of the things that that we understand here in this story is that that as they're putting their trust in Jesus as the solution, they're hoping that he can do something about it. Um, The reason the woman grabs out to his cloak is because she doesn't want to be seen touching a rabbi because she's unclean leviticus 15 says has all these crazy rules about about blood and everything else and you cannot touch a rabbi or you you, if you're impure you're going to make someone else impure by touching him you can't go to synagogue you can't go to temple there's nothing you could do so she's out of the loop and so she just basically wants to kind of fly under the radar touch the edge of his cloak and then bounce hoping that she gets healed and she got healed now, the, 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 what a lot of people that are scholarly in this regard think is this, is that she was reaching out for what the myth said could happen if you touched a good rabbi's tassels, his prayer tassels, which were on the edge of his cloak. That, that, that rabbis would pray, they would take their prayer clock, cloth, eh, cloak, cloth, cloak, and they would put that, that shawl over their head, and then they would wrap their fingers with all of the little tassels representing the, the law of God, and that they would just clutch onto that like it's life, and that if there was a really good rabbi and you had a malady, perhaps if you touched the tassels, there would be some type of a magic trick that would happen and you would actually get healed. And so this woman is operating. I've heard these things about Jesus. I can't talk to Jesus. I can't face Jesus. I can't touch Jesus. But perhaps I could do what the myth said to do, which is to go and reach out for his tassels. And so she, she goes and she touches the cloak that Jesus has. And she's getting ready to leave. She's putting her whole trust in Jesus Jairus is putting his whole trust in Jesus, but with us today, one of the things that we come to is, is the same question though. When we ask Jesus things, what are we? How are we What's our posture? And honestly, it, our posture is this: we pray for yeses, but we trust God with the noes. I had to look this up grammatically, by the way. I didn't like. I was is it yes posture? No, this is it. We pray for the yeses and we trust God for the noes. When we God wants us when we're going through something that's difficult to bring our request to Him. He doesn't. He's not like. Look, I don't have any time for you. I don't have any time for the issue that you're struggling with. I'm not, I don't have any time for that. He wants us. He, he's a good father. He wants us to bring our requests before him. And so we pray to him and we say, God, intervene. God, help this situation. God, heal this person. God, help this scenario out. We pray for the yeses. But as people who are trusting God's whole authority, we recognize that he does not always say yes, does he? We recognize that we, we can trust him in the no's. When my brother Nathan um, was married first, he he was married and um, his marriage started to fall apart. And I remember praying for my brother, for his marriage not to end up in divorce. Prayed and prayed and prayed. I did the wedding. I did the wedding on a beach in Savannah, Georgia. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. You know what God answered that prayer with? My brother and Bethany still got divorced. And it broke my heart. Where was God on that? Like as a pastor, I've seen people's marriages look like it's on death's doorstep. It's like it's it's divorced. And then all of a sudden, something turns around. God's done it in other people's marriages. Why couldn't he do it in my brother's? And I also was praying also, not only just for his marriage, but I also was praying for my brother's um, life. My brother was addicted to drugs. He was addicted, addicted to alcohol. And he was far from God. And I was just praying, God, please bring Nathan back. And today, my brother is someone who is not, he's no longer, he doesn't, no longer struggles with alcohol or drugs, and he's tight with Jesus, and he's, he's in the band at his, at his church. Blows me away. God said yes to that. And so for me, as someone who's just looking at my brother's life, the prayers that I've had for Nathan, I've recognized that God has said yes to some, and I have to trust him for the no. Trust that he knows what he's doing. How many of you are going to watch the Super Bowl today? Okay, some of you, a handful. How many of you are watching it for the commercials? Okay, the wise ones. All right, so here's the thing. If you're into the game, every single person who's watching the game that's into the game does something weird when they see a call that's made that they don't agree with. What is it? They just freak out. They flip out. Like, this guy's an idiot. And so what are you waiting for to show that the guy's an idiot, the ref is an idiot? Instant replay. That's right. Because on the instant replay, the whole world can see this guy is a bonehead. He has no idea what he's doing, and you knew it. And you're and you don't. You don't I mean, you're a high schooler, or you're, you're, you're you work at ComEd, but you knew more than this guy because you saw it and he didn't. And so, like everyone's waiting for the instant replay. There used to not be instant replay. Instant replay was introduced in an Army Navy football game in 1963. Just, just as a way to, to look at it. And then ultimately, it was used by the referees because people recognized if we actually saw what happened, if we could actually get a camera on it and see it in slow motion, we could recognize that these human beings don't know what they're doing all the time and they make bad calls. And so from that point on, almost every professional sport has instant replay. Why? Because we do not trust the authority of the referees. And for good reason. They make bad calls. We do the same thing with God. It's almost like we want an instant replay. Like, no, no, God, if you really understood this situation, you would say yes. God, if you really knew this situation, you wouldn't respond to my prayer request with a no. If you're a good God, and that comes back to those unbalanced spikes. A lot of us, if you're a Christian, we go through life tracking with God. Man, when he's saying yes, it's like, all right. I knew you were always there. I knew I could count on you. When he doesn't, it's like we, we're, when he answers no, it's like we're sliding and our, our wheels are spinning. Like, where are you on that? God, where were you on that one? Why am, why am I not getting traction on that one? The balanced spike person who's making it through the path of life is someone who's trusting God with the yeses and with the noes. We're praying for the yeses, but when they don't happen, we could even trust God because he's so good because he is the perfect judge. We can trust him even with the noes and understand what he's doing. You know, it's interesting. Even with my brother's divorce, as dark and difficult as that was, looking back, and now now, I can see what, my, what God was even doing, even through the difficulty and the brokenness of that. Didn't see it at the time, but that just shows we pray for the yeses. We trust God with the no's. That's what we're supposed to do, but if we're supposed to be people of faith, who are we to be people of faith? And We get that answer in this, in this next section. Look at verse 45. Okay, so again, this lady reaches out, totally ninja moves and touches Jesus and then like bounces and all of a sudden Jesus says, Who touched me? All right, hold on a sec. How many of you have ever been to like a really, really packed concert? Like really packed, where you're walking out with other people's sweat on your shirt? Okay, yeah. All right, how many of you ever been in a mosh pit? Okay, some of yeah, all right, wow. Okay, this service is way more mosh pit-y than the last service. Okay, now whether you're in a mosh pit or you're just in one of those, those concerts where it's like you're so jammed that like you, the crowd's moving and you're not even wanting to move, but it's, you're just doing this. You're like, Wah! you're doing like a Michael Jackson, totally tilt move and then back up. You're like, this is amazing. The, and it, it, this right here is as weird as someone in the middle of that stopping and saying, whoa, 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 who touched my hoodie? Who touched my hoodie? Everybody touched your hoodie. You're in a concert. You're in a jam-packed section. Jesus is walking through a section where there are literally people all around him. You got Peter and you got James are the bouncers doing this type of thing, but they can't keep people away. Everyone's touching Jesus. This woman reaches out and touches Jesus. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, who touched me? When they all denied it, which is just goofy because everyone is around him, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, no, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out of me. Then the woman, let's call her Erica, seeing that, the, that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. Have you ever been super busted? And you're just like, you got caught, and all of a sudden you're like, you deny, 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 but then there's just no denial, and you're like, all right. That's, that's, that's Erica. She came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how he had been, how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. This is the craziest thing. Again, this woman, how long has she had this, this bleeding issue? 12 years. Now again, because of Leviticus 15, she can't go where? She can't go to synagogue. She can't go to temple. She's disconnected from her family of faith for 12 years. Some of us in here, we've had a medical issue. And you've had a medical issue, whether it's arthritis or it's some type of mental illness that you've struggled with for years and years and years. And you're like, man, after six months of asking God to, to just take this away and it doesn't go away, you're like, come on, God. And then a year, and then a year turns into five and so on. And you're just like, if God is seriously, why is God not saying yes to this? Why would he not want to eradicate this from my life? This woman was not praying for one week or one month or one year or five years, she's been disconnected from her faith community for not five years. She's praying, and God is not removing this this blood issue, which is separating her from being able to go to church, to synagogue, to temple. Not for 10 years, not for 12 years. And then in the 12th year, all of a sudden, this rabbi who people say can heal comes to town, and she's like, this is the guy, but there's no way I could talk to him. I can't talk to a rabbi. I would make that rabbi impure. So the only thing that she thinks that she can do is just sneak in. And this is the thing that is so awesome about this. This medical issue that separated her from her faith community for over a decade, and the thing that she wants to be healed from, Jesus doesn't just do that. He doesn't just heal her. He has way more in mind for her than just healing her. What Jesus wants to do, what Jesus wants to do is restore her. He's not calling her out like, whoa, 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 time out. Who touched me? Seriously, someone just stole a miracle. Who was it? He's not doing that. Jesus is calling her out to restore her. She has been separated for 12 years, a dozen years, and he's calling her out to restore her. And if you go through all of the the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see all these miracles that Jesus is accomplishing, you don't see Jesus just doing these magic shows so that people are like, wow. Yeah, he's trying to show his authority over disease and death. Yes, that's there. But even bigger than that, the headline isn't the healing. The headline is the restoration. He's restoring their bodies. He's restoring their minds. He's restoring them to a faith community. And, and that's something that the restoration is the big headline here. And we share in this legacy because there's nothing that she did that deserved that. She simply put her trust in him in and his ability. So who am I to do it? Who am I to have faith? I am qualified by Christ. This woman felt disqualified every single day of her life. Because of her condition, she felt disqualified from the family of faith, and Jesus stepped in, and he qualified her. He qualified her. Every single faith wants to communicate to you how you deal with your greatest failures. You know, as a pastor, one of the things that that I, I deal with when I'm talking to people, like if there was a common theme, like in every counseling session, Every time I'm talking to someone out here in the hallway and they actually get real, it all boils down to I just feel like a failure, or I feel like I'm failing in this. I'm failing my family. I'm failing in my faith. I'm failing in my whatever. Whatever thing that I feel like the banner over my life is failure. My brand, my tattoo across my face is failure. And Jesus doesn't step in and say, It's okay, you're not a failure. He says, Listen all those things that defined you as a failure, those disqualified you. But I, I'm the qualifier. And I'm qualifying you. I'm bringing you back into the connection of the family. I'm bringing you back into the faith community. And again, it's, it's just this amazing thing. I love that. It's just like one of those, those huge things that we see happening in this. And, and just like Erica, who walks away from the town square with her head held high, not because she did something good that deserved kudos, but because the Messiah qualified her and said, you are restored. If you're a Christian, you've been restored. I don't care what you did in your past. I don't know what your current failure or status is. You are part of the family. And that's not me telling you. That's him telling you. What am I to do with it? Or who am I to do it? I'm someone who he sees as qualified. So we go through these. What am I to do? I'm supposed to put my trust in his ultimate authority and let his yeses and his no's be something that I trust. Who am I to do it? I'm someone who's qualified by Christ. And then finally, how can I make it through it? Because one of the things that we have to ask is, yeah, but how do we make it through the difficult times where our faith is challenged? Verse 49, while Jesus was still speaking, so he's still talking with Erica and all, everyone around, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead. Have you ever been frustrated with God's timing? Ever just like wondered like seriously why? I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. God's timing doesn't line up with yours. Man, Jairus has got to be thinking, look, I'm the synagogue ruler, the leader within the synagogue. I've kept people like Erica out for good reason. Leviticus 15, look it up. And yet you pause to deal with her. My daughter is dying. As difficult or discouraging as her medical issue is, that's not on the same level as my daughter. And yet you stop, pause the game, we're bum rushing to my house, and you stop everything and say, let's go ahead and focus on this. And My daughter dies? Your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Whoever this friend of Jairus is is basically saying, listen man, as much as this guy can do, I've heard the rumors, but as much as he can do, nobody can conquer death. Nobody. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. Verse 51, when he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. When we get to this point, my favorite verse in that whole section is this, don't be afraid, just believe. You know, one of the things that we see this is this is going right back to the very things that we struggle with. Our life gets defined by our fear. Every person fears, but our our life gets defined by that, and we end up living in fear. And Jesus says, don't do that. Instead, believe, have faith. I mean, this sounds super simplistic, overly simplistic, but it's true. I mean, this is true. We, We can bank on this. Don't be afraid, just believe. And the thing that's amazing that as a Christian, what we can do is we can recognize that this is something that he calls, even when he's saying no to our, our prayers that we're asking, we can still live without the fear. We can still live in the faith. I've got this friend, and this, is, this guy's awesome. Like when I was growing up in church, I used to hate, hate's a strong word, word. I, but I did. I hated people when they're, whenever I was like, man, I cannot wait to go to Disneyland next week. And they're like, yeah, if God wills, that'll happen. I'm like, no, my parents are gonna put me in the car we're going to go to Disneyland. Man, I can't wait to turn 16 and be able to get my license. Yeah, if God wills and the world doesn't end or something, I'm like, who are you people? This always would frustrate me whenever someone would like tack on God's will as a downer, like just like a major, major buzzkill on anything I was hoping for. Or if, or if something was going bad, oh man, just like I can't believe this happened. Well, you know, it's God's will. I'm like, Dude, shut up, right? I hated that type of person until I started seeing it flesh out in this friend of mine's life. And it's so cool. When things are going bad, this guy goes, it's so cool. He just goes, you know what? I don't know why why God's allowing this to happen. But maybe God's allowing this to happen so that. And he fills in the sentence with something I would have never thought of. Because I'm just thinking of the bad. You know 2020? That was a bad year. Yeah? Awful. Terrible. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, but it was so good. No, no, no. Bad. But this guy, this guy has the audacity to go through 2020 looking for God's will. Like, he's looking for God's fingerprints. Like, who knows? Maybe it's God's will that blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden, I started thinking about 2020 differently. But he doesn't just do it with bad stuff. He does it with good stuff, too. It's like, sometimes it's easier for me to say, well, God's in control in, in bad times. But when good times happen, I'm totally distracted by the good. And I don't even care about God, right? This guy is still in those moments, in those moments, he's actually still operating with this belief, this trust, this faith in God where he's saying, you know what? Maybe God allowed this good thing to happen so that. Man, that has challenged me. That's kicked my butt. Like I, I haven't thought in that lens before, but that's exactly what Jesus is saying. That this type of person, the person who's a follower of Jesus can live not afraid, but believe. They can live with the reality that, that God is gonna answer our prayers with a yes or a no, but he's still in control. And his will still is happening. We just have to wait for it. We have to look for it, see what he's actually trying to do, what he's pulling off. Um, how many of you ever watched a Quentin Tarantino movie? Okay. It's okay. This is a safe place. You can say that. Okay. <laughs> Um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood just came out, and after that, um, or not just came out, but came out recently, and and, and Tarantino was interviewed on that, like how do you make films and how do you choose scenes? And he said, one of the key things you have to decide in making a a particular scene is ask the question, is this a scene of suspense or is this a scene of terror? Because they're different. He says, when you're creating a scene of terror, the audience doesn't want to watch another minute because they're scared for the person because they're pretty sure they're gonna die. Scenes of terror should be orchestrated by the director to make the audience uncomfortable, to make you want to lift up the sheet above your eyes because you're just so freaked out what is going to happen. This is not going to end well. That's terror. He said, however, a scene of suspense is different. Suspense is is something where you've got a key person in, it's a key actor, key character in the story that it's necessary that they make it all the way to the credits. So you know they're going to live through this scene. You just don't know how. You know they're gonna to get to the other side of whatever this crazy, bad, horrible situation is. You're just not totally sure the details of how it's gonna get pulled off. As Christians, that's the scene we live in. We're living in the scene of suspense. Tragedy, trauma, difficulty, pain, evil. But we live in the confidence of Jesus that causes us to know, say, I don't know how we're gonna get through this. I just know that he's faithful, that I can trust him no matter what. I don't know how he's going to answer my prayers in this with yeses or nos, but I know, I know that I'm going to be able to get to the other side. And too many Christians live their life in the scene of terror, anticipating this is going to be horrible and bad, and that's the end of the story. And that is human, it's just not Christian. Christians are able to live, not afraid, but just believe instead. So, The way that we get through this is that we return to a fear-defying faith. And and the important thing to realize is that faith doesn't mean that we don't get afraid. Life will make you afraid. Faith does not mean that you don't get afraid. It means that we have someone to reach out to when we are afraid. Faith doesn't mean that we don't get discouraged. We do get discouraged. It, It actually just means this. It means that we won't be dismantled by our greatest fear. Whatever your greatest fear is right now, if that comes to fruition, it does not have to dismantle you. Not if you're a Christian, because you have a faith that actually can even absorb that. Jesus heals a decade-long medical issue, and he brings back from the dead the only child of a religious leader. And those things are impressive. They're miracles for sure but they're like a small microcosm of what his ultimate plan is. It's like a movie trailer for his biggest dream. And the the biggest thing that he's going to ultimately communicate is something so much greater than even those miracles, what they show. Because Jesus is God's only son and he would die. His death would actually restore the connection to a faith community for anyone who put their trust in him. He wouldn't stay dead. And him coming back to from the dead—that death was not the end of the story—is just as ridiculous to the world around us as it was in Jairus' house. You want to know who the Christian is? The Christian is the one who's not laughing anymore. The Christian is the one who's not laughing at the concept of life after death. The Christian is not laughing at the idea of someone who is disconnected from faith community that gets brought back in. Why? Because our Savior lives. Our King is alive. And because of that, we have the capacity to go through life. And and let me just say say this, like the woman in the story, for you, hope is within arm's reach. If you're a follower of Jesus, are you reaching for that? Are you banking on that? What is it that you are fearing right now? What is it the greatest fear that you're grappling with, the greatest thing that you're wrestling with? Because every single person in this room, on some level, is dealing with that. Your fear of our current context as far as a nation, as a world. Fear of what, you're, what you've lost. Fear of a relationship just imploding. Fear of a family member who's struggling with health. This past week, as a church, we've had a, a incredible struggles that we've been praying and lifting up. Lifting up Mike. You know, Mike Sherman, who's right now struggling in a hospital. We were lifting up Ron Reed, who was sent home from the hospital to, to die. These are things, these are like the greatest fears people within our church family are living out and fleshing out. And as people of faith, we recognize that fear, as powerful as it is, it cannot overmask or overshadow the faith that we have in Jesus. Because the faith that we have in Jesus even speaks a deeper word, even into those things. What I'd like to do to close us off today, this morning, is just to, as as a congregation, to come before God and bring to him Things that we're struggling with, things that we are afraid of, things that we're wrestling with. If you could stand, what I'd like us to do is spend just to, to provide a little bit of space for us to come before God and just pray. And you might be someone who's not really used to praying, like that's not something that you're you're, you're comfortable with, or it's not something that you're super super uh, practiced in. Faith is a convers—faith and prayer is a conversation that we have before between us and God. Again, like a good father, he wants to hear what's on our hearts. Some of you know exactly what you need to be praying for right now. Some of you, it might take a couple moments, but take right now, if everyone could just bow your heads. If you could just spend some time just between you and God. What requests would you bring before God right now? And do it. What is causing the insecurity and the anxiety is to ravage your heart, to rob you of peace, steal your joy. Your Heavenly Father wants to hear these things. He doesn't want you just to bottle it up, muscle yourself through. What insecurities are you wrestling with right now? What difficult decision are you in question about? You don't know how to answer. You don't know how to come to a conclusion on. as Christians who are following Jesus on a path and trying to do so with even footing, we pray for the yeses and we trust him for the no's. We could thank him in advance and so we could trust him regardless of how he answers our question. Regardless of how he answers our request, we could trust him. We could trust him for the yeses and we could trust him for the no's. Spend a couple moments just thanking him in advance for the fact that no matter what he says, no matter what he does in response to this, you could trust his goodness. You could trust that he loves you. You could trust that you're not alone. lord jesus sometimes the power of faith is not these epic moves that are worth telling stories about it's simply the ability to cope from one day to the next knowing that you are with us in our deepest brokenness and our deepest sorrow our deepest need god i thank you for the times that you've answered in the affirmative that you've said yes to prayer requests that we've had we've seen your hand work out in miraculous ways. And God, I'm praying that you, in fact, do that with each one of these requests that we're bringing before you, but we trust your will far greater than ours. And God, even in the areas that you answer no, we will give you thanks because we can trust you. because We love you because we're following you. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Folks. We have an opportunity not just to hear that, not just to believe it, but to live it out. So let's live it out from here until next week and we will see you all here next week.